Would you turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13? Chapter 13, verse 7 and verse 17. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. And verse 17, chapter 13, is a, uh, just a hodgepodge of practical information or practical commands. And so verse 7 goes with 17, so let me read it. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Nobody can ever over or ever underestimate the value of a leader or the value of leadership. The business world moves on the ability of leadership. Iacocca took over Chrysler when it was about to go under and has done such a job with that, they're touting him for the presidency, a strong leader. Any football or basketball team is as strong as its leadership. And every, every um, now and then, I'll see some coach talk about, lament his losses with this. We just don't have a strong leader that will take over when the chips are down. No nation will ever be any stronger than its leadership. And the church must have strong leadership. Now that's not to minimize committees. You know, I believe in committees. Uh, but even in committees, you have to have leadership within those committees or they get sidetracked. Somebody said that, that a giraffe was nothing more than a horse that was put together by a committee. Leaders are visionary. They're dreamers. Leaders are people who can answer hard questions and, and deal with tough issues. Leaders are the people who thrive on risks and exuberance and exultation. And leaders are the people who don't, who, who don't mind being out front and taking the heat when the heat comes. I heard a man talk one time. He said that even, you know, dog teams, you know, that, you know, they use the dog teams, Eskimo dogs. He said even dog teams have to have a leader. He said about the, and the, the main difference between the dog that's out front, the one that's out front, and the ones who follow, the, the main difference is the scenery. And you think about that for a minute. And the lead dog is the, is the person who's able to see things from a totally different perspective. Now, not always does the people, do the people who follow see things the same way as the leader. But the person who has been called of God is out there in that position, is able sometimes to see things that others cannot. The scenery is different. Now, it is true that there are some leaders who have been corrupted by their leadership. They've been too far out front and they've been exalted beyond what they should be exalted. And they've been corrupted by that power that seems to come with leadership. And so they pad their records. It's, you don't have to go too far into the, into the past to know some examples of corrupt leadership. I tell you, 
church history is stained with the stains of wrong leadership. I want to say a word about wrong leadership, how to spot it, and how to manage it, what to do about it. And I want you to get this down as this is, I think, relevant to uh, so many of us. Wrong leadership, how to spot it, and what to do about it. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 15. Now, before we get to this passage in Hebrews, I want to stop off in the neighborhood of of, uh, Matthew, chapter 15. And I want to show you three ways to spot wrong leaders or wrong leadership. Matthew 15, beginning verse 1. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying... Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, I know when somebody reads this, what are you going to say is, what's the big deal about washing your hands before the meal? How is that transgression? Well, there's more to it here than just washing your hands before you eat. You understand, of course, that they had a tradition did the Pharisees of washing. Sometimes after every course in the meal, there'd be four courses at the main meal, they'd wash, they'd go through this ritual four times. Every household had the prescribed amount of water. It's a little, it was an eggshell full. And they started out first by pouring the water on the tips of the fingers and letting it run down to the wrist. Then turning the fingers down, pouring the water on the wrist and letting them run down to the tips of the fingers. It was a, an elaborate ritual they went, to, went through. And it arises out of the Old Testament. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, God gave the law to Moses in a simplified form. He gave the Ten Commandments to, to Moses. And then all these fathers of religion began to ask, what, does, what do these Ten Commandments mean? And so they added all these interpretations to the Ten Commandments. Six hundred laws they added to the Ten Commandments, each one of them as binding as the Ten Commandments. One of these laws, one of these traditions they called them, was this traditional washing that was to take place at the mealtime. And when these Pharisees saw Jesus' disciples not washing, they were wondering why they were breaking the law, these ungodly men, breaking the traditions. And Jesus confronts the issue here, and what he's confronting is wrong leadership. These men were the religious leaders of their day. Now, three statements about it. Verse 3 is the first one. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? First way to spot wrong leadership is this, that, there will be, that, that human opinion is, more, is honored above the Word of God. When human opinion is given a place of honor and value above the Word of God, that's wrong leadership. Now, everybody has an opinion. Every leader, these visionary men, these men out front who make the hard decisions, answer the tough questions, these men have opinions. The question is, can that opinion stand the test of the Word of God? Because the opinion of man is of no value if it conflicts with the Word of God. So wrong leadership is leadership that is based more on man's word than God's word. Second, is found in verses 6 and 7. He's talking about this this practice these fellows used. 
and he says, and he is not to honor his father, his mother. Uh, they they uh, got to get the context, but I'm going to move on. Thus, you invalidate in the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far, far from me. Second way to spot wrong leadership is this. There is hypocrisy instead of, of authenticity. It's to talk one lifestyle and live another lifestyle. Wrong leaders are folks who talk one way, live another way. There's no consistency between the proclamation and the performance, between what they do, what they say, what they do. A wrong leader is a person, Jesus calls a hypocrite, a person who promotes one lifestyle and lives another. That sound like anybody you know. Third, verses 10 through 14. I'll not read those. I just want to give you the third way to spot wrong leadership is this. It is self-imposed rigidity rather than God-imposed sensitivity. Now, how do you spot a, 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 a God-sent, God-placed leader? He's a man who is sensitive to God. How sensitive is this leader in the church, whoever he is, how sensitive is he to God? Does he walk with God? Does he know God? Does he communicate what God tells him to communicate? Is there a sensitivity toward God? Now what am I, what am I going to do with these folks when I come across them? These wrong leaders? Well, the answer is in verse 14, let them alone. Now, it doesn't say dialogue with them, doesn't say conflict, doesn't say confront them, doesn't even say argue with them. He said, let them alone, turn your back on them. If a leader doesn't have anybody to lead, he won't lead. You know why there's so many folks who are successful in, in, in wrong leadership? Wrong leaders are so successful is because there's so many blind people who will follow them. He's talking about that in this passage. I think of Jim Jones and Guyana as an example of that. So if there is one who fails the tests of verses one of, of statements one, two, or three, how do I deal? How do I manage that? Leave them alone. Don't follow them. Don't dialogue with them. Don't argue with them. Just leave them alone. Now, on your way back to Hebrews chapter 13, I want you to stop off with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll read verse 11 of Ephesians 4. In the family of God, listen carefully. In the family of God, God has appointed some to lead and others to follow. Now, it doesn't mean that leaders are not accountable. They are accountable. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But in the family of God, by His will, He has appointed some to lead and some to follow. And I'm convinced that fellowship is as important in the plan of God as leadership. Now look at verse 11. 
And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And really, there's a slash there. Some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Now, if you put that all together, this is what that says. There will never be unity in the church and maturity in the body until the leaders are followed who have God, God has placed in the fellowship. Now, let's see what God says about God-placed leaders. Now, this is a difficult sermon for me, of course, because it's about me. Now, I preached this text at uh, Mark uh, Park's ordination and just winged it. Boy, I had the best time talking to those folks about how they should treat Mark Parks. But I want to promise you that this is difficult for me to preach because it's, I'm talking about me. And you've got to believe me and understand, trust me when I say to you that I have nothing selfish in mind whatsoever. Well, I, wanted to, I just want to explain to you because I have a commitment to the Word of God what God's Word says about your responsibility to God-given leadership. I've come to the conclusion that the first verse, verse 7, is easier to apply than verse 17. You notice that verse 7 refers to leaders that have been in the past. Your leaders that have been in the past. They have died. I mean, this is used in the past tense. And something happens when a leader dies that just causes his stock to rise a little bit. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, there can be a guy leading out, being uh, you know, a pastor or whatever, and everybody in, the, you know, everybody in his dog you know, have some conflict with that guy and resist him you know, just a little bit. And let him die, and all of a sudden he's, he's wonderful. You know? <laughs> Something happens when a fellow dies that just kind of causes his stock to rise. That's my only hope. <laughs> that is a hope. Now, the historian will love verse 7 because he's looking back on those leaders that, you have, that, that, that a person has had in the past. Someone was talking to me this morning after the early service, said, what are you going to preach on tonight? What verse? I said, this verse. She said she'd been to a WMU, WMU meeting, and this was the, the theme of that WMU meeting. And these people got up and they shared about these leaders that had spoken the Word of God to them in the past. And that's what this verse is about, really. You can put names there. Maybe a school superintendent or a coach or maybe some uh, pastor in the past or some deacon or some godly Christian layman in the, in the, in the community. And, and this is what he says. He says, you are to remember those people. I mean, hold them up in your memory for what they did for you in teaching you and, and, and helping you in the Word of God. He said, put them faces in the walls like pictures on the walls of your memory. And then he said, consider their life to the end of it. Now that word consider is an interesting word. It's a word that means investigate. Like your kid comes up to you and he says, Dad or Mom, he says, what about this? And what you, you say, well, look it up in the encyclopedia. 
I mean, that's why we spent last month's paycheck for that thing. It sits in there and gathers dust. Go look it up in the encyclopedia so your kids get the encyclopedia down and invest, investigate that. That's what he's talking about. He said, you need to remember those who have spoken the word of God to you and investigate their life, the whole life, as to its final outcome, the front end and the back end of their life, We've got a lot of 40-yard dashers all the way to the end of it, he said. Remember those people. Now, just let their faces come to your mind tonight. And it's a wonderful ex exercise. I'd like to reminisce with you a little bit about some of these godly people that have been in my life in the past and are gone now. And then he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to imitate their lifestyle. Imitate it. Let their life be a model to you model their life. Uh, you know, all the time I hear in person, I wish I could sing like him or I wish I could play football like old so-and-so and these guys are the, these people are just the idol, the, the models, the, the examples that we want to, we want to be like them. And so this author is saying, hold up to your memory these wonderful people that are in your past and be like them. And the implication is, is that you can. The best person that has ever lived with in your life that has been the strongest influence upon you for God, that's the person you want to model. My goodness, the models we have today. Well, that's another story. But so much for yesteryear. We're going to get down to brass tacks. There's two commands about today's leader. Obey him and submit. Now I can feel your fist clenching, can't I? Uh-huh. Yeah. I can just I hear I hear teeth gritting, you know, grinding there, gnashing. Obey, verse 17, and submit. Now that's pretty heavy stuff. What does it mean? Well, it means that you as a congregation or a fellowship has a responsibility to the position, if not the man. Now, what we're doing in the yesteryear, guys, are, you know, we're remembering those folk. What he's doing in verse 16 is remembering the position. Now, I was never in the military, but I'm not so naive, and I don't know what went on. I know that you salute in the military the position. And I have a feeling that a lot of guys saluted a lot of guys they didn't like. But it wasn't a matter of liking the guy. It was a matter of respecting the position. The position is what you saluted, right? Obedience and submission is not conditioned upon the popularity of the man. If the man passes the test... That is, he goes by the Word of God as best he can. He lives a lifestyle that he preaches. And he is sensitive to God. That man is to be obeyed and receive submission. For in God's family, people don't pick the position God puts the position there. Obey your leaders and submit to them, he said. Why? Because 
they keep watch over your souls. They keep watch over your souls. The phrase keep watch is a, is a word, is a phrase that literally means they stay, they, they, they seek sleep. And it means that these guys stay awake for you. I don't know about any other pastor, but I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that I, I do that. Three o'clock last night, I was agonizing over this thing. Uh, not this thing, over, over this, you <laughs> out there. He says, and they themselves obey and submit, for they themselves, themselves, this leader that God has placed there, must give an account. Now there's where the accounting comes. That the leader is not so much accountable to you as he is accountable for you. And the accountability for you is more pressing and more binding than an accountability to you. Because my accountability is not an accountability to another human being. It, pr primarily, first of all, it is an accountability for you. And, and that burden is sometimes too hard to bear almost. And I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to quit. Because the awesome responsibility that is laid upon the pastor, whatever else is gone, whether you're you know, keeping up attendance and, and budgets, those, are, those grind on me all the time. But the greatest responsibility is the responsibility of knowing that one day I'll stand before a holy God and give an account for you and my stewardship of you. And so he says, Obey and submit, for they give an account. And he said, Let them do that with joy and not with grief. With joy and not with grief. Now there's no reason in the world why pastoring a church ought not to be the greatest and most happy thing anybody could ever do. It ought to be that. But from the time I can remember, and that's been a long, long time ago. This is nothing new. From the time I can remember, I've listened to pastors and church leaders say over and over with a broken heart, if you can do anything but preach, do anything else. And I have known personally more folks that I can count on my fingers and hands whose lives have been broken and ruined, whose hearts have been broken and ruined because of a congregation that gave him misery and pain and heartache and grief. It ought not to be like that, but it is. Submit and obey, he said, so that the pastor, this is your accountability to him, so that the pastor can do his work in joy and not grief. There's enough grief. When your best friend is ill, and when your best friend is there and you're standing here, as I've had to do in the past, that's enough grief for me. 
And when I see husbands leave their wives, that's enough grief. I don't need the grief that comes when people are not submissive to their pastor. I don't need that grief at all. I got enough of the other kind. And there's some sheep that are easy to shepherd, easier to shepherd than others are. You know that. I saw this artwork one time. This shepherd was there, and he had this. He had these sheep around him. Some were in his arms. Some were at his feet. It was just beautiful. There were, you know, those were the ones that they were. They were close. Over a little bit, there were some sheep, and they were grazing along. You know, those were the followers. They were. They were followers, but they were not. You know, just you know, real close to the shepherd. Over there in the picture, way off to the side, there was a sheep. And he was looking over there at the shepherd. Now, I don't know whether sheep can think or not, but that picture should have had a caption over it and said, okay, big boy, just just see if you're going to shepherd me, you know, kind of thing. Obey and submit. Watch carefully. Because it's unprofitable if you don't. You're going to lose. That's the hardest thing I could say. You're going to lose. I'm going to lose. We're going to lose. And God's going to lose. There's absolutely nothing to be gained by a rebellion toward a God-placed leader. Now, three things that are incontrovertible, and I'm going to hurry and get out of this. Three things that are incontrovertible. One, it's unbiblical to support wrong leadership. Now, you it's a fact. By the way, you can put me to the test. Listen. If you have a godly shepherd, obey and submit to him. If you don't, don't follow him. Because it's unbiblical to support wrong leadership, no matter how sincere it may appear. Second, it is unwise to claim no leadership, no matter how comfortable you may feel. Some folks say, well, I don't need a leader. I'm going to wing it. It's unwise to do that. Third, it's unprofitable to resist right leadership no matter how painful it may be. It's unprofitable to resist right leadership no matter how painful it may be. Can I say two things in closing? I don't have the right to rewrite my job description. And my job description is found in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is my job description. And this is the truth. I read from 1 Timothy every day of my life. And I ask God, just a section of it, I say, God, give me a little bit of insight into my job description today. I have no right to rewrite my job description. And you don't have the right to resist it when the shepherd carries out his job. 
And that's heavy stuff. And if I didn't feel like that I was accepted and loved, I'd never dare preach that. And we're not going to have a formal invitation at this moment. I just want us to bow our heads. I want to do two things. I want to recommit myself to be a better leader. I want to be more sensitive to God. I really do. I want to make that commitment to you. I want to be more obedient to the Word of God. I really have sought in the last days to become more obedient to God. I really do want to be consistent. And what I ask of you, I'm willing to do myself. I want to pledge that. I want to, I want to walk that way. I want to rededicate myself to that. I want to let you know that. And I want you to join me in the same act of rededication. Father, guide us to the place that we can function in the full maturity and unity of the faith. Help us to be responsible to you, first of all, and obedient to you. Because I pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Now, I want this invitation. I want, if there's anybody tonight who would like to join our church, if there's anybody here who would like to profess their faith in Christ, I want those two invitations to be the invitation. I want this other to be in your own heart. And so if there's anybody, while just where you're sitting, you'd feel led to get up and come and say, I don't know what you said, what you talked about, but I'd like to be saved or I'd like to join your church. I feel God leading me to do that. Whatever, however God will lead you to do it, would you like to do it right now? Let's get up out of your seat and come.